Hello, hello. I have a guest for you today. I'm really excited because I haven't had a guest on for a while. And I think it's really a good idea to bring on really powerful voices that can help you all listening to move the needle in your business. This particular gal, I've never had anyone uh, speak on this subject, so I especially liked it, and I consider her a friend of mine, Sue Barber. But let me just tell you a little bit about her real quick. Sue Barber is an author of The Visibility Factor. She's also a podcast host herself. She's a former Fortune 500 IT director turned executive coach, helping business leaders to play bigger, increase the visibility, and finally shine a light on their leadership strengths and evaluate their position in the workplace. And that means also if you're an entrepreneur because you're creating your own workplace every day. So listen up to Sue today. She's going to share a lot of tidbits from her book that really can be transformative to your life and how you run your own business. So she brings a depth of business knowledge to her coaching from over 25 plus years of experience at Kraft Heinz. And she's, like I said, the author of The Visibility Factor, so write that down. She is creating a visibility movement for leaders to show their value and be seen for their true talent. Sue, are you there? I am here and I'm so excited to be here. Thank you. Oh, good, good. So let me just ask you right off the bat, what has been your biggest learning experience as you transitioned from corporate to being an entrepreneur yourself? So I did not mention that you are an entrepreneur, but anyone <laughs> that writes a book usually is. So tell me about what that transition was like. Yeah, so I had, as you mentioned in the bio, like I've been with the company for so many years. It was part of my life and my identity. And I think for me, when I left the company, not only was I leaving it for myself, but actually part of my family because my father, my mother, and my grandfather all worked for the company too. And so as I left that legacy behind, I didn't have anyone else to turn it over to, you know, like they did for me. So It was a big shift for me in terms of identity and realizing that I now had to build credibility for myself. I had the credibility of Kraft by my name for so many years, and I'd walk into a room and say I worked for Kraft, and it automatically gave me a lot of credibility, and I didn't have that anymore. And so there was a lot of moments of how can I do this on my own? How can I establish my own credibility? How can I be seen as a coach, a thought leader, in leadership and how can I start to have people want to work with me. And so I spent some time on that and really realized that I needed to find a way to get my voice out there. And so I started writing a blog every day and talking about the things that are in the book and the things that are just experiences that I had in my career that probably a lot of people did not know because I was really good at hiding (laughs) all of the stuff that I was dealing with and didn't want to show to anyone. And so I was living with a lot of imposter syndrome. And so all of those things I started talking about, and that really helped to resonate with people, which Mm -hmm. started to establish the credibility that I needed. Do you want to expand on what you mean by imposter syndrome? Yes, sure. There's a whole chapter about it in the book because it's that important. So think about things like not holding your boundaries, people-pleasing, procrastination, perfection are just some examples of where you may think in your head that I am not good enough. I am not important enough to be sitting at the table with the executives or even in business. Like why would someone want to work with me? They're a much Mm -hmm. higher level than I am as a coach. So, you know, I don't have enough experience at that level. And I definitely went through some of that for myself. So those types of things are where the thoughts in your head get in your way and they hold you back. 
And it's not that you really are an imposter. It's because you actually are a high achiever that it shows up. And it's based on some research that was started in the 70s, and it was started focused on women, but it actually happens to men as well. I've coached a lot of men who have it, and it shows up in different ways. It's about the insecurities that you have and, and trying to not let them take over, right, and hold you back from taking action. And so the more that you understand that those thoughts are not real unless you want them to be real, the more you can change them and say, you know what, that's not true for me anymore. Maybe that was true in my past, and now I'm moving past it now, and I am going to take this action even though it's something I haven't done before. Thoughts are so powerful, aren't they? That is interesting, the whole imposter syndrome. I've heard it. I've experienced some symptoms myself, but I've never heard anybody say what you just said about it usually occurs when people are over or high, high, high achievers. Interesting. Okay. So what makes someone a high achiever? Can I just ask that? Sure. It's anybody who would be on the outside seen as successful, right? They're climbing the ladder in their company, or maybe they have a really successful business. You know, they are making half a million dollars or millions of dollars, but they're still dealing with the thoughts in their head that are making them mm-hmm. feel like they're not successful yet. And so, I really can trip them up. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So, for example, Tom Hanks has quoted himself on a podcast that says he feels like an imposter. Maya Angelou feels the same, right? She's written dozens of books. She got a Presidential Freedom Award. You know, she's done millions of things that would all say to the difference that she's not an imposter. But it's those I don't know, dumb thoughts in our head that we have. And if we let them take over, they will. And so you mm-hmm. have to be aware of them. I love it. So who do you work with as an executive coach? And what do you help them with exactly besides what we just talked about? Yeah, sure. So f- most of the people I'm working with are in companies that are at mid to senior levels. They just are trying to get ahead in their roles trying to get ahead in their company, maybe they're having a struggle with a manager or a peer, and most of the time that imposter syndrome shows up quite a lot and they aren't sure how to get past it, or they want to be more visible in their careers but they're not sure how to do it, and that was definitely my story. I was the person sitting in the back of the room thinking I was being visible because I was in the meeting, but I wasn't actually speaking. I wasn't sitting at the table with the executives, and so someone was kind enough to give me feedback saying, You're not being visible enough. You need to do more if you want to get promoted in this company. And before I got that feedback, I was what would be considered a top talent in our company and someone who would be considered for the next promotion. So it was a very big aha moment for me that I needed to make a shift and change, but I didn't want to do it in a way that felt false to me. I didn't want to brag. I didn't want to be the person speaking in the room all the time and not saying anything because there's plenty of those people. And so I had to figure out for myself what does – authentic visibility look like for me and how can I do it in a way that works best and then as I learned those things I started to teach my team and I brought them to the table with me and had them try things that were scary for them or the first time they ever did them and then now in this coaching world I am getting so many people probably because of what I'm writing about visibility but also because there's such a need for it that people don't realize You know, you grow up working hard. You have this strong work ethic that everybody puts into you. says, working hard is going to get you promoted. And in the past, that was true. Or up to a certain level, that is true. But once you get to a certain level in a company, that is not enough. You have to be talking about what you're doing to your management so they can see you and see the value that you bring about your team, about the things that you're doing. 
And that only happens if you're advocating for yourself or, you know, working with other people to help advocate for you. There's a lot of thought behind it that I just don't feel like is being talked about enough, and that's why I wrote the book. Okay. What are some of the things you said that you have them do things to kind of help overcome their fear? Can you think of something? Sure. Yeah, usually we start with wherever they are. So what is the challenge that you feel like you're facing? What's some feedback that you've received? Have you had an assessment that would tell you that you're not doing enough? So for example, I was working with someone on Friday and he had received feedback that he wasn't contributing enough value to meetings. And so I asked him to give me an example. Sometimes that just helps if I get an example from them that I can help them see what they could have done differently if they had changed the way that they thought about it. So for example, someone said, you know, there was a problem with this system. He was an IT person. There's a problem with this system. It's not working. And so he proceeded to go to a litany of technical details for this vice president to hear. Well, the vice president doesn't have the energy or bandwidth to process all of that, right? So I said, it's great that you're telling them all of that stuff, but they don't need that. They need you to know that. You just need to tell them What's three or four sentences about what this is that's happening and that you have it, you have a solution, your team's working on it, you've got the problem solved and it's gonna be solved by Friday, whatever it is. They just need to know that level of detail, not all the stuff. And so Mm -hmm. I remembered something one of my directors told me at one point, he said, Sue, I just wanna know what time it is, I don't wanna know how the watch is built. That was really a good (laughs) analogy of what I was trying to teach to him in that moment is, You don't have to give them all the details. So that reminds me now of what I saw in your test. You have a really cool video where people are talking about the book. And you, in the very beginning of that video, you had said something about someone said something to you when you were in a position. Someone said that you weren't being visible enough. And Mm -hmm. that led you to actually write this book. Right. Yes. Yeah, that was that example where she said, you know, you're sitting in the back of the room, you're not saying anything, and she added some additional details like, why do you even come to the meeting? You know, if you're not going to add any value, why even bother to come? Which was a little harsh to hear in that moment. (laughs) It was something that changed everything, but it was helpful at the moment. Yeah, I mean, it was was like, please let me leave this room right now as soon as possible, (laughs) right? (laughs) But you can't, so you can't do that. Would you consider yourself an introvert? Yes. I sometimes say an ambivert, which if you're not familiar with that, that's kind of, you can be an introvert or an extrovert. Most people are probably surprised that I'm an introvert because I'm very extroverted in terms of like talking to people. And it's just hard for me if you think of like a networking event to -hmm. go and see all of those people and think, okay, I don't know them. And to go up and introduce yourself, I have moments of, oh boy, I'd much rather be at home, you know, reading a book than doing this. But If I think about it as I'm just meeting one person at a time and I'm not meeting all of them at once. Right. Yeah. yeah. And one other trick that somebody taught me was to pretend like you're the host. So if you're the host of an event, you're always just going around talking to people. Are you having a good time? Do you have everything you need? You kind of go in with that mindset. It's much easier to just say, hey, you know, I love that you're here. Where'd you come from? You can approach it with a different mindset. Yeah, my daughter is this way, and I guess I've never really considered myself an introvert, always an extrovert, so learning, she's like teaching me this for the first time, and then, yeah, and I'm noticing it's becoming more of a topic, and it's actually helped me see quiet people differently, and can I just say, they're almost always the smartest people in the room. (laughs) For sure, and 
And when you think about a lot of leadership teams and, you know, people even in entrepreneurial world, right, people with the loudest voices are more just a little bit more extroverted. But that doesn't mean that the introverted people don't have a lot to say. They're just saying it in a different way. Well, they're listening better, I yeah. think. Yeah, I yeah. agree. And extroverts tend to be doing the talking when they should really focus on <laughs> doing a little bit. <laughs> right. Yeah, exactly. So um, what prevents people from playing bigger? What do you think it is in their careers or businesses? Like, what's the core of it? Most of the time, it's somebody said something to them that planted a seed of doubt or they... Like a parent? Is it usually a parent? It could be a parent, yeah, because most of the time you have these situations that happen when you're probably between 8 to 10 years old. A teacher tells you something, a parent tells you Mm -hmm. something, a relative, someone says something to you, and that creates kind of this place in your body that lives forever until you change it. I realized for myself that I was being thought of as the perfectionist child, like, this is a good thing, you're responsible, everybody wants to be like Sue, and that's not really great, right, because perfection is an illusion, it's not real, and I was trying to live up to everyone else's expectations and not really thinking for myself, and so, Mm. you know, now that I know all this stuff, you know, if I could go back and parent my children a little differently, I would, but I can't, so all I can do is teach them what I know now. Helping them see that they're wonderful and perfect in in terms of like how they are right now. They don't have Mm -hmm. to do anything to change. But I think society and culture and, of course, social media, the comparison that especially kids are in right now is a lot. You know, when I grew up, I didn't have social media. You know, if you wanted to call me, you could call me. You could come to my house. But after that, I didn't see what everybody was doing after school or at night or what social influencers were doing. I had Uh no idea. I think it gave us a buffer of time to let some of that stuff go. And if we had any stress or anxiety, it kind of reduced before we went back into it the next day. But because Mm -hmm. they see it 24-7, they -hmm. never get away from it. Wow. It's so true. Okay, so, wow. (laughs) Now you've got me pondering this. Okay, so what have you learned as a business owner, author, and as a podcast host that would help someone who just is getting started? as an entrepreneur or just getting started deciding that they're going to be more visible. So I would say play to your strengths. I did not know I was good at writing, honestly, until I met with someone who was a really successful coach and I was trying to understand like how to start a business. I had never started a business, didn't really know where to begin. And so he said, you know, I've been writing a blog every day. And it just really helps me to get my voice out there, establish who I am as a thought leader and all of that kind of stuff. And you can do that too. So I wrote my first blog. It took me a week to publish it because I was so scared that someone might actually read it and say something about it and tell me that Mm -hmm. it wasn't good. And, you know, in social media world, they probably never even saw it right away. But I didn't know that at the time. So I think it's finding something that you can play to your strengths. Maybe you're good at speaking. Maybe you're good at writing. Maybe you want to have a podcast. Maybe you want to write a book things that you can really take and leverage that are your strengths because you will need to do them consistently and intentionally all the time, whether that's every day, weekly. I started writing my blog every day for 18 months, and that was a big commitment that I took because every morning I would write the blog, I would go create a Canva post, I would post it to all my social media every day until that got to be too much, and then I got too many other clients and I couldn't do that, so I had to Mm -hmm. source it. But 
that is what I would suggest is whatever you choose to do, be consistent with it because over time, that consistency builds that know, like, and trust factor about you. And mm-hmm. people see you and talk to you and, and you are the same person that you show on social media. One thing that I would change that I did incorrectly was I posted a lot of stuff and I would add some blurbs about it or put my name on it and stuff, but I, it was other people's content. I have now switched over the last two years. Everything that you see for the majority of it is from me, my mm-hmm. words, my voice, my videos, my pictures. And that is the know, like, and trust factor that you need to have. So whatever you choose to do to be more visible, especially as an entrepreneur, if you're using social media, is find something that you love to do and commit to it. Yeah, and it builds confidence too. You know, I think when there's a lot of power in consistency, not just with building know, like, and trust from the outside world, but internally you actually start trusting yourself and building your confidence, which I think helps break the barrier of that imposter syndrome. Do you do you agree with that? A hundred percent. And here's what happened for me. Uh, I realized, you know, as a coach, I have to have a business and be able to work with companies and and to charge people, right? You have to have a business to to push everything through. What I didn't realize is that I'm actually a CEO of a business. That was mm-hmm. like my imposter syndrome was all over that. How am I a CEO? I don't know how to do that. But as soon as I made that paradigm shift in my head, I started acting differently. I started taking different actions. I started showing up differently and talking differently. So my confidence definitely shifted because of that conversation I had to have with myself. And to realize that the things that I'm talking about are resonating with people. It's helping people. And that's ultimately what my goal is, is to help people be visible in the best way that they can. Yes. You know, I sold for years. I was in sales and a few different industries and then ended up in commercial real estate where I was selling again, just all different industries. So I thought, heck, I could sell anything. I remember people telling me that I could sell snow to an Eskimo. (laughs) But then it came the day that I created, you know, my first product and I was going to sell it. And it was like, wait, what? Everything changed, and it was almost as if I was reteaching myself all of the things that I already knew, and it was all because it was my own product. Mm -hmm. So a lot of entrepreneurs have that, and they have to break through it. So your book could really, really help them with this. You go deep on this subject. I love it. So what would you like people to do? First of all, what's your podcast show name? So it's also called The Visibility Factor. I thought it's easy to remember the book and the podcast. (laughs) Yeah, so I do solo episodes where I talk about uh, their solo episodes on all the imposter syndrome types that I have from the book. But I also interview guests because I want people to see that they, they may know some of my stories, but I also want them to see what other people are doing. So I'm interviewing coaches and entrepreneurs and corporate people mm-hmm. who are sharing their different experience, just the things that they're doing and what they have done to be visible because everybody approaches it in their own way, which is why I love it because it's unique and it's authentic to them. And there's not one path. There's no cookie cutter approach to this. You get to decide what works for you. And so I list out, and there's a four-step process in the book that you can walk through to create your own visibility plan And because I know that not everybody has all these ideas, I put hundreds of ideas in the book to help as thought starters. Maybe they work for you, maybe they don't, but it may give you an idea of what to try. Okay. So underneath in the show notes, I'm going to put some of this information in where you can go to either start working with Sue 
or read her book or listen to her do all three. <laughs> do all. Yeah, you can find me yeah. on LinkedIn or you can go to my website, SusanMBarber.com, which I know Chris will have in the show notes, but I'd love to connect with people and just you know help them be as visible as possible. Thank you so much for giving us that insight, and it was a pleasure having you on the show, and we will talk again soon. Goodbye, everybody. Have a great afternoon.